<laughs> if you already know Drake or you already been on Drake's TikTok or his lives or his Sunday Zooms, which will be once a month now. <laughs> Did you know? Now you know. <laughs> you know whose voice this is. It's Shan from She Gets It Pod. So while you're listening to Everything Culture with an A, not a die, check out She Gets It pod all right i know i'm the one with the little boo me on there that's me all right new season new season 22 giving y'all encouragement motivation and a real insight in the things that i think about on a daily but i'm saying them out loud to y'all so check me out on she gets a pod on your favorite podcast app and also find me and the rest of my podcast on shambypodden.com. Now, I hope you're enjoying this show with everything culture. Hey, Drake. I'll let you have your mic back now. Bye. You know, what happens is you end up basically almost neglecting your own familial needs because you're having to provide for, you know, these kids that are on your caseload. Um, I don't know how many times I worked, you know, 12, 14, 15 hour days, you know, visits at eight o'clock at night because the foster parents work, Um, you know, this is the only day that they got off in between, you know, them taking the kids to visits and therapy and whatnot, Um, you know, working six days a week, Um, you, you really do neglect your own family. Right. And I've had friends who have CPS cases because they're working. They're they're saving everyone else, but not able to save their own family. That happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And oof, like I, and I agree with Kashana and I agree with y'all, but I still say even with 33, 34, that's a lot. Hello, beautiful people. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. We're back with everything culture and we're back with what could be episode two of our series of child welfare. So I'm excited. I hope y'all are excited. We have some great guests with us this evening and I would like to introduce our guests. If you haven't listened to that Makings of You, make sure to check them out. But I would like to start off with Kashana. Hello, Kashana. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. Thank you so much, Brandon, for having me back. Everything culture. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brandon. All right. We have Melissa. Hey. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Appreciate you. Thank y'all for being here. <laughs> and we have my newest friend, Midori. Hello, Midori. Hello, hello, and thank you, thank you. Right. And we have one more person that may be hopping in with us soon, but we wanted to get started, you know, just get this conversation going. So if y'all don't know, the people who may first time be listening to this, that I work for CPS for a little close to two years, then I work in child welfare at an organization by the name of Child Advocates, serving as a guardian ad litem, working with volunteers, and then five years in the outreach part with recruitment, training, and retention. So, and now I'm a volunteer myself. So throughout my process and my experience of being in child welfare, I built some relationships, met a lot of people, and I realized a lot of people don't know about CPS. You know, what you know, they know certain parts of what they see on television or they see in the media. But they really don't talk to people and have a conversation from the perspective of the judges, the caseworkers, the parents, the foster parents, you know, et cetera, or even the children themselves. So I decided to pull up this series so we can have conversations with one another, actually getting the perspectives of the caseworkers and talk about what is child welfare and what it looks looks like. But I would like to know. So 
you know, whoever want to start first, how did you get started in CPS? What brought you into the work as a caseworker? So I don't mind starting. Um, so I came from a healthy family. My grandfather is a preacher and um, he's always been in the business of helping people. Um, my mother is a CPS caseworker. She began her work at CPS when I was in sixth grade. I probably was 10 or 11. I'm 43 now. My mother still works at CPS. Um, and so I just feel like service to humanity was something that I was always supposed to do. And I just kind of took it to a different level. But it's been in my blood. And so I feel like I'm supposed to help people. Person, and that's how I got to where I am. So, for me, it was um, I actually didn't like go to college for CPS, I actually was a caregiver for one of my um, sister's kids, and that's kind of how it spiraled and me being on the opposite side of CPS to me actually being a caseworker. I finished college and nobody would hire me because I was a stay-at-home mom with a degree, with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice that I couldn't, No, I needed I needed uh, experience in order to work in criminal justice, but nobody would give me that experience. So in turn, CPS was the first job to call me back after like two years. And, um, and then it just happened that way. But I've always been into loving kids and just helping others. Thank you. Thank you. I'm kind of nervous to say because everybody's um, reasoning for being involved is very admirable. Stop. And um, I got into it because my mama sent me some links from LinkedIn being um, after being laid off for years. So I just I applied and they were the only ones who um, called me back. And sometimes it's like that. Ain't no shame in it. You know, you got into the work. And things like mine similar is I'm a little bit of both. I'm kind of close with um, Melissa that I've had some lived experiences in my life. It, you know, you listen to the makings of Mr. D713 that I've had severe neglect, um, substance abuse in my household. And when I went off to college, you know, I went in, my first major was computer engineering and loved it. That was my main interest. And I started, to, I remember taking psychology in high school and sociology. And when I got to college, I was like, oh my gosh, everything I'm reading remind me of somebody in my family. And I was like, I got to get into this. Okay. I want to check it out. I'll I want, I want to switch my major to psychology. I want to get to know people. I want to help out. And I will, you know, my one of my goals was being an attorney and a judge. But I started with CPS and it was kind of like, hey, I was looking for work. I applied to the state. I graduated in 2009, as I said in our previous episode. And if anyone knows about 2009 was a recession and a lot of places were not hiring. And the state of Texas was the first or, um, first company organization to call me back. Actually, it was the second. I was about to become a security guard at a prison in Huntsville. <clears throat> Thank God they didn't go that way. But <laughs> but it really brought me into the work. And uh, once again, I said I was a caseworker for two years. And how long, so how long did you serve children? How long were y'all in child welfare or are y'all still in child welfare? Um, so I, so I started in Arizona, um, 10 years ago, I worked there for, um, five years and I'm currently still with, um, within the, the entity in a different state, um, for the last five years. So, yeah. And for me, it was 10 years as well. And um, I'm actually not working in child welfare. I'm, I'm still a social worker of that sort. I work with kids, but just in the truancy part of it. And I still work with adults. 
in the criminal aspect of it. Love it, love it. So for me, I've been in this field for about 16, 17 years. Um, different capacities, CPS caseworker, guardian, item, forensic services. So it's been a lot going on. But what I can say, Midori, regardless of how you got here, you got here. And none of us are doing this for the money. So you have a heart for it. You're here. That is for sure. <laughs> Oh yeah, I oh, will trust me. We're gonna to touch on that tonight. So, like, I know a lot of people don't understand, you know, the responsibilities of a CPS caseworker, and I know it, it's changed throughout time. And for myself, like for instance, when I started at CPS, my caseload, in my opinion, was high. And the breakdown of the caseload is is the amount of children. Because I was a conservatorship two worker, okay, and that's why I say if y'all share the titles that y'all serve. I was only in one role um, at CPS, and that was conservatorship two. And but when I was in that role, I remember starting out, coming out of training, they gave me maybe seventeen children, and by the next three months, four months, I was up to thirty-two, and the most I've had at once was thirty-six. So what was the oh, most amount of kids y'all had or most amount of cases y'all had at one time? And tell, well, tell me what was your title, too? What did you do? What was your role? Look, me and Melissa are laughing at your little 32 because that was easy. That, look, that was like we can take it easy with 32. <laughs> um, gosh, I remember at one point. So as a foster care worker, ongoing services, um, I want to believe I had like 70 something kids. Like we were consistently getting Wait, at once at uh, one time. Okay. When you get those consistent five, six, seven, eight kid cases back, you know, back to back to back to back to back. And yeah, you're literally, you know, just in the field doing visits and doing your you know your child family team meetings in the you know in the car on your way to a visit and then doing another one on your way to another visit yeah it's crazy so what type of so in texas we have investigators we have family-based safety service workers we have conservatorship workers and we have adoption prep workers in arizona how is that you know, you meant like, cause it sounded like you was a conservatorship worker as well. So we had, um, we had, uh, investigations and then we had, um, in-home services, mm-hmm. uh, ongoing. So foster care and yeah. then, um, adoptions. Okay. Same, same thing, same thing. Mm-hmm. So you were a foster care worker mm-hmm. like, in care and you mm-hmm. had 70 and and let's clarify for the folks that don't know when you have do you have to see all your kids in one month yes like it is impossible like when you have you know more kids than there are days in the month that you have to see in person in placement and then you have to get your court reports in on time. Then you have to attend the, you know, the child's, you know, therapeutic services. And then you have to attend the parents, you know, recovery meetings. Um, and then you're, you know, maybe supervising visits in between or, you know, there's a placement disruption. So then you got to drop everything and go handle, you know, that situation. Yeah. Mm. Fun. Oh, you hitting it on the numbers right there. So, Melissa, I know you, what do you got? How many, what's the most you've had in one, at one time? <clears throat> when I was a CPS ongoing worker, I, it was um 68 and then when i was in uh licensing a licensing worker for adoptions and foster care it was 72. when i first started <clears throat> midori was there what a month before me i think 
uh, I started with nine cases. I can't remember how many kids, but the numbers that I gave you were kids that I had on my case load. And I remember we used to literally cry to each other, like, how the hell are we supposed to see all these kids? I don't understand. And you're right, right? These court reports that are supposed to be weeks ahead. <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> 15 Girl. days. Yeah. Well, that's what I was. I'm sure. That, yeah. 15 yeah. hours. Part of me, yeah. Look, walking into the courtroom. I'm, look, sorry, dog. Here you go. Like, y'all getting it today. Like. Mm. Then the judge mad as hell. Mad as hell. Because he ain't got no time to read it. Oh, oof. But then you get in trouble if you're not seeing your kids. So it's like, yeah, and and that's exactly my point. But I was like, Shauna, you know, what what, what's your number? I do not have anywhere near (laughs) their caseload capacity. I think when I left CPS, I was probably at forty kids, and that's a lot. It's a lot, but when I'm listening to Midori and Melissa, uh, my heart goes out to you guys because how do you provide a service to the children and the families and the the, the foster parents in addition to foster care agency, and then you have therapists who are needing information from you so that they can do their job, and the lawyers and so I I get it. I I understand. You know what happens is you end up basically almost neglecting your own familial needs because you're having to provide for, you know, these kids that are on your caseload. Um, I don't know how many times I worked, you know, 12, 14, 15 hour days you know, visits at eight o'clock at night because the foster parents work. Um, you know, this is the only day that they got off in between, you know, them taking the kids to visits and therapy and whatnot, um, you know, working six days a week. Um, you you really do neglect your own family. Right, and I've had friends who have CPS cases because they're working, they're, they're saving, everyone else but not able to save their own family that happens unfortunately mm-hmm. and oof, like I, I agree with Kashana and I agree with y'all but I still say even with 33 34 it's a lot and but 70 that's that, that is and when I say this y'all understand yeah, that's stupid that is mm-hmm. extremely poor managed and this is this is coming from caseworkers, and many people that when I'm doing my TikTok, I mean, I, yeah, my TikTok stories and my child welfare stories and things, they they share like, oh, CPS is so broken. CPS is a problem. It, once again, people are broken. People have problems, and it's a people system, so it's going to be like that. But why are so many children coming to care? In, in one, two. If you're a caseworker and this is, you know, you're coming in as coming into work and Midori listed just a few of the things you have to do. Then we list all of it, okay? Because what Midori was saying is kind of, I would never forget when I was leaving the state after my year and a few months or so, <laughs> and they were doing an audit. And you know, when some audit, everybody freaking out. Oh, you gotta have everything perfect. You gotta have this together, you gotta have that together. I already had my two weeks notice in when the audit was getting done. All right. And I never forget my supervisor. I mean, we had this, it was like during the audit discussion and they called the whole program down to have a, um, a, a, just, a, just like a, just a, a full program meeting. And the auditors were able to tell us what we should be doing. Okay. And me, I'm free. Everybody else can't talk, you know, everybody else kind of like, you know, still worried. You know, I got to keep my job, but I'm like, I'm already out. I'm going to speak my piece. I'll never forget what they said. They were like, yeah, you're supposed to visit with your kids. Each one of your kids for one hour. <laughs> I was like, how? How? And I was like, you tell me, houseway, tell me. Like, how is that, how is that even possible from, was it like going to court and you can be in court all day. 
from 8 a.m. to 4 o'clock. And don't even be called, and they'll call you back the next day or the, later on in the week. Then I have to visit my kids. Then I have to talk to my parents. I have to do court reports. I have to do documentation on top of documentation, just repeating the same thing at times. And then, once again, I don't, I don't know how it is in Arizona, but if you ain't dealt with Houston traffic, you can just be in your car driving for hours. And I had kids placed from Kima to Huntsville to, oh my God, I can't remember, Livingston, all the way to, well, it was far west. It was far past Katy. I can't even think, but and I was like, how in the world is this even feasibly possible? Like, that's not realistic. And they're like, well, that's what is needed to be done. And I'm like, well, if you said if you're setting a caseworker up for failure, you're setting the family up for failure, which is setting the children up for failure. And in and, and going to court and Midori said, like, man, they want you to turn the court report in two weeks. You know, I was not the best turning my court reports on time, even though I did my best. Uh, trust me, I'm maybe a 60% rate of turning it on timely. But so much things will happen within two weeks, too. And they expect why this isn't a court report. Because it just happened last week. And I, I, I will be bringing attorneys back on. But like you said, the judges don't have time to read it. Sometimes the attorneys don't have time to read it. so And they're mad and upset because they don't have nothing to go off of because they don't have your court report. But oh, we have our other participant here. <laughs> Let's introduce Brittany. Brittany. Hey, Brittany. I'm gonna give it a little bit. Love that profile picture, by the way. I think I have to. I need mean, to update it. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> What'd you say, Kashana? I was just gonna say, you know, a lot of it is based on geographic locale. I think, you know, as far as the people who are signing cases to the case workers like so if if you you live on south houston maybe they should assign you cases you know in your home area or like you you just mentioned you had cases in kima and then huntsville that's two hours away that's not realistic to say you got three or four cases in huntsville because if if uh, Midori is a Huntsville caregiver. Melissa's a Huntsville, Melissa's a Huntsville caregiver. And uh, Midori's, her availability is Monday. Melissa's is Tuesday. Mine is Wednesday. <laughs> you know, like, so that's pulling you in 50 million places at one time, you know? And I know we can't. I mean, we can't always accommodate everybody, but at the same time, you know, it it, it needs to be realistic. You know, I will say that was one of the things that I used to do with my foster parents. I would, because I like to work smarter, not harder. I would schedule all my visits for like, okay, who's in this area? Who's in this area? And my fa my foster families knew every, like we're this we're keeping this. This is clockwork because you know I got things to do. So um, we we need to make this happen. Same you know same day, same time, every month so that we can you know get this done. And that's how you make you figure out ways to make it work. Basically, mm. I think that's I think that's really really smart. However. I know for me, when I was uh, working with the state, I like to do a lot of pop-up visits because you like to see families in their natural environment. And with us being in, you know, in the center of Houston, it's like, if they're expecting that, they're going to be on their best behavior. And you don't always want to get that. You want to catch them when, <laughs> you know, they got stuff going on or, uh, you know, just at different times. And so that was my issue because I, I don't mind, you know, having things scheduled, but having those pop-up visits work very well because if some shit was to happen, excuse my language, uh, in a specific case, because I had some very traumatizing cases, um, then I would be able to note that, notate that. I will say one thing I like about Arizona um, is 
they are, and I didn't mention this earlier, but we also had a nights and weekends unit. So like that used to be like, that used to be my thing, you know, cause whenever you had, you know, like any of those concerns or, you know, the kids are talking like, oh yeah, you know, we made cookies with my mom, you know, over, you know, last night and, you know, mom's not supposed to be over there at night, you know, so you do a little referral for nights and weekends, have them go out in the middle of the night, pop up. And so that was kind of like our way to get around um, that aspect of, of things. But so for Louisiana, there's nothing like that down here. Um, Texas either. Yeah, the workers are on call for a week at a time. Um, and they basically are the service. Mm. Okay, okay. Once again. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all for being here. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for watching. Thank y'all for tuning in. You're listening to Everything Culture, and this is our child welfare series, and this is our caseworker episode. And we're really getting to the thick of it right now. And just quickly, Brittany, can you let us know how long were you a caseworker? What type of casework did you do? And in what state? Uh, yes, I sure can. So I was with uh, the state of Texas for seven years. I started out in conservatorship, which is pretty much us having custody already and working with foster parents, adoptive parents, um, uh, biological parents, the court system, every everybody. <laughs> so. Um, I started out in conservatorship and I was with them for about two and a half, three years. And then I transferred over to family-based safety services, which is working with families outside of any legal intervention uh, and helping them to mitigate any problems within the home before taking custody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And <clears throat> every state is different. You know, I will be making an episode that um, we're coming right. It should be right before this one that Texas is different and every county is different as well. Harris County is a whole different beast. OK, uh, I, I used to do the statistics. All the, yeah, I used to do the statistics all the time. And I think there is between five to six thousand children in CPS custody in within Harris County alone. And Harris County is broken up within Region A, where it's Region um, Six, which is Region A, is Harris County, and Region Region Six B is the surrounding counties of Harris County. And everything, Kashana, what you're saying, I absolutely agree. I wish they would like even when we work together at a different organization outside of CPS, it, we should try to make sense. Don't put me with a family that's clear across town. That doesn't make sense. But we all know, unfortunately, our kids may move. Lord, let me tell y'all. Um, and we, with children, for the people may not know, they may be in a placement, used to be like maybe a block or a mile or two miles away from your house. Something happened with the placement, your child may get in some trouble. They used to give me a lot of teenagers. I was like the teenage whisperer, okay? So if they had a teenage boy, and if they were a person of color or black, oh, they're giving them the branding. Okay. I'm, I'm letting y'all use my government right here. And I'm like, okay. But I, 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 I love working with the kids. I love the interactions. And unfortunately, I was one of those case workers. And I hate to say, unfortunately, sometimes I care too much. I don't want to say I care too much. I don't want to say that. It's just like I am an empath. And and so I would see my I made sure to see my kids once in a while. I, if I had 70, I don't see how that's even feasibly possible once again. <laughs> but when these kids are living within your area, then it moved clearly across town or in a different county. You still have to visit that child once per month. And that's when it becomes difficult and doing the paperwork and don't let your teenage run away. Teenager run away, too. That's a whole different conversation and that's a conversation we got to have like you being a caseworker what what was what's your day-to-day -day? what was it like your day-to-day -day? when you going into work and we haven't heard from melissa so i want to hear from melissa when you're going into work as a caseworker what is you to be the first thing you do in the morning 
sit in the car for like 20 minutes <clears throat> before you get off because <laughs> you're like dreading the day. But um, after you get in there, <laughs> check in with Midori. <laughs> but honestly, it's uh, depends if I had court at nine or 11, just depends. I would just make sure that I had everything I needed to do, my home visits, my CFTs, my ARTs, um, just any and all, make sure my charges are in the, the GSA. See, the, the, the see you, you just you just threw out several acronyms. Can you break that down for us, please? I'm sorry, um, child and family team meetings, uh, CFT, and the ART is adult recovery team meetings. Um, those are those happen when you just uh, go over what either the child or the adult has been doing in services and actually what uh, services are working or not working or what new services need to be implemented. And um, and we go over we would go over like visits, visitation or foster homes would go over things that are working after visits, things that aren't working. That, that the parents are bringing, you know, to visits, maybe sugaring them up, stuff like that. You know, the small details that don't get the kids to sleep and turn, have them issues at daycare or whatever. It's, um, so yeah, like, like they said earlier, dealing with all the issues that, and you're supposed to contact these people and still document the stuff while you're driving to the next appointment or to court. And like you said earlier, document everyone you talk to at court <laughs> about any of your cases. So you're doing a lot of talk texting, email texting to yourself. <laughs> Did I talk to that person today? Let me say that in my phone. Send it to yourself because you're going to forget. <laughs> yes, the Outlook calendar was my best friend mm -hmm. because I would put my notes, talk text in my calendar in between my visits if I didn't have a CFT. And then that way, all I had to do was just copy and paste into the system. And then also too, it was a CYA. So if anybody would ever call my supervisor and be like, oh, Midori hasn't came or she hasn't called me or whatever. My supervisor could type in that name on my calendar and can pull up the date that I talked to them, what we talked about. So, yeah, you get yeah. creative. <clears throat> For the people who don't know CYA mean, my LinkedIn folks know. Let me cover your assets. Cover your assets, okay? And when I say that's why I'm so in like in, such a great relationship with my iPhone. My iPhone got me through so much in my career as a CPS case worker. I still have notes in my phone from years ago. Case note, like because I used to tell them all the time, I'm not ignoring you. I'm not texting. I'm just taking notes throughout the process because. It's just like sitting down with a pen and paper with everything that's going on simultaneously. It's like impossible, especially doing a home visit or when a child is placed with a relative and a relative mm -hmm. and you get in there and somebody pop out the back room. You're like, who's that? Oh, that that's my new boyfriend. <laughs> Ma'am. <laughs> ma'am you know i have to do a whole and it's like uh it is like it's just work don't stop you know it's just like you look up it's something new that comes up you got to take care of even though i did not have 70 when i was at the state once again this is my first like career position outside of college and i got so stressed out at times i couldn't move my neck at work i got so I would seize up. That's the best way I can put it. And I had to start going to therapy on top of the workload, but the emotional toll it takes on you as well. And I, I don't know if a lot of people under, I don't think people understand the, what it looks like to be a caseworker. You know, that's why I'm glad y'all here sharing with us because I don't know what it, what it's like in Arizona. Do y'all know what a red case file means? Is it okay now? It's mainly it's a child death. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so we call them. They're it's something different. 
out there. I don't know if it's still that to this day, but you know, I remember getting cases that just by sitting down reading the affidavit, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, it, it's just sitting down and I talk about secondary post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Just sitting down reading that information and then you actually they have to go and talk to the families and some families are not what they look like on paper. I can say that, you know, some fa- and I mean that in a positive way and I mean it in a negative way, all in a sense, you've seen some people like, Oh, they're really nice and sweet. Then you come to meet them and like, they just fooled the investigator or the investigator's not too involved. That's mm-hmm. the other thing about it. Cause even though the work and as we were saying, <laughs> Melissa was saying, you show up at work, you may just sit in the car for a little bit. Like, <sighs> I got to go deal with this, but you have to deal with it because, you know, if you don't do your job, you know, the ramifications behind it. Yeah, I, I've seen some caseworkers that shouldn't have been caseworkers. <laughs> you know, I've had some folks that you really should like bow out. Um, when I said, look, when I said, look, it got to the point to where y'all know Texas has a statewide crisis going on as far as children without placement. Mm-hmm. There have been so C-Walk. many workers. Huh? You're talking about Seawalk. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There are so many workers that are getting jumped on by 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 uh children. Yeah. But, but they're not doing anything about it. But no one deserves to be assaulted. It does not matter this this the situation or the stress. I'm not a caseworker anymore. I'm an LPC. Nobody deserves to be assaulted. You are, you're, you're absolutely right. In the culture I come from, when you place your, people, when you lie and you place people's children in danger, I, it, once again, I think that's the last resort. Mm-hmm. But when you antagonize people and you remove, it, 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 it's certain lines. Because, like, once again, that's like saying you don't believe in war. And if you don't, that's fine. I believe at a certain time you have to fight for what you believe in when people are putting your the things you love in danger and harm. And that was a situation where a child was being abused by a foster parent. And when the mother, during a visit, asked, what is going on with my child? You know, and the child expressed... Well, you know, the foster parent hit me. You know, it was a bruise on her face and told the caseworker and the caseworker was like, well, your child shouldn't have been acting up. Mm-mm. No. Oh, no. So. Mm-hmm. But is it fair to say I can understand why you feel the way you feel? However, the reaction is not justified. I mean, I get it. I, I mean, I understand. But. Like, no, we cannot condone. We, we just can't. Okay. I, once again, I would agree. <laughs> and once again, in that moment. Okay, like, let me mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's fine. This is a conversation we're having right here. It's one of those things, like, because that parent is a parent. And I believe that is that parent and the reason why they came to care. And they kind of put it like, well, you're the reason why they're in care in the first place. Mm. As a caseworker, we still had that responsibility to protect these children. That's yes. the focus. Yes. And, yeah, and that has that. a lot to do with seeing our clients for people more so than, you know, looking down on them or, you know, thinking that we're somehow, you know, better than them. Mm-hmm. Um I, you see that a lot. I will say in the South where I'm at, um, I, I see a lot of classism when investigators are going out more so than safety issues, you know, safety concerns, immediate danger, you know, what are these safety risks? But it, it's more so because you don't live like I do it's you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so when we have workers who have that mentality, they don't have, they don't think to speak 
mm-hmm. you know, to the clients, just like a person, you know, um, we had my old supervisor would get mad at us for, you know, just talking to our parents, just how we're talking now, you know, and she'd be like, you can't talk to them like that, but I can, because this is what they understand. They don't understand CFTs. Um, you know, we need to see observable, you know, behavioral changes. They don't know what that means, you know, so you got to break stuff down. To Stop talking them. above them. Stop yeah. talking with them. I, and, and that's when I used to do my trainings at um, CASA that, <clears throat> and, and that's, the, it come, everything culture is an extension of the work I've done as a caseworker. The pillars here is respect, communication, and consistency. Those are the three same pillars I had. I learned to entail or take in when I was a caseworker, when I became an advocacy coordinator. The show parents, families, people respect, let them and communicate who I am, what's my role, why am I here, how long I'm going to be here, and how to respect me back as well. Where do I set boundaries? And I've seen numerous times where because that's how we're going to and, and let them know, hey, how do what do you want from this? Mm-hmm. What's the end goal for you? Yeah. How can you know what, what's, the, what's that process? It is a simple conversation sometimes. But I that was great. Thank you, Midori, because that's absolutely well said, because cult, that's in, in, with culture. You know, I remember when I used to do the culture diversity training. Shout out to Estevan um, Mayers, my guy, my mentor. He would say so well how it's all about perspective and your upbringing is your upbringing. And the majority of us know that see, child abuse and neglect is truly a cycle. Some people don't know better. Some people, they're just doing how they were raised and, you know, they're they're addressing some of the harm that they had in their lifetime from um, either physical abuse, medical abuse, neglect and things of that nature or substance abuse. But I've seen cases where where families, if they have money and they can purchase their own attorney, oh, that case is fast track. They get their case back quickly or the attorney talk to them differently in a much kinder way, a different type of respect. I tell people, no matter whose house you're stepping into, you better wipe your feet off at the door. You don't treat people differently because they don't one don't look like you or don't talk like you. I've had when I moved over to Casa Child Advocates, I used to have volunteers say, "Well, you know, they don't have it. Like literally, legit, they live in a neighborhood where drugs are being sold, so they shouldn't be living in that house. So the parents shouldn't get their kids back." Have you lost your mind? Mm-hmm. But knowing as people that, that think like that, that's a that's a scary thing. You have to get on the point to assist folks. I, I, I've told an experience before where I had a parent. I was talking to a caseworker in court, and she, young uh, white woman, Caucasian woman, and she was frustrated. She was mad, and I'm like, hey, and Kashana know me, and I'm like, hey, I can talk to everybody. I like, and she know I talk to everybody, and I was like. You know what's going on? She's like, "Oh, this mother over here." And if you know about Harris County, Harris County courts sometimes are packed. Okay, the mother over there, she's just such a you know, you know what, blah blah blah. And I can tell this caseworker was a little new. And I'm like, "What's happening?" She was an investigator. I'm like, I said, "What happened?" Well, she was trying to eat her kids. I'm like, she was trying to eat her kids. What you talking about? So I like, <laughs> you mind if I read the affidavit? <laughs> so she showed me the affidavit, and right there in writing, she the mother, the child was found with butter and sugar on them, and after a second degree burn, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, hmm, you mind if I go talk to your client real quick? Talking to mom, she like go right ahead. <laughs> maybe a black woman, maybe in her thirties, but five feet tall. I go and sit down with her. First off, hi. Um, Mr. Drake, I'm with so-and-so, so-and-so. Um, I'm not appointed to your case, anything of that nature. But I see, you know, you would you mind sharing to me what's happening? This, and I tell them, my, based on my resume, I've been doing this type of work for this amount of time. Can you share it? Just share a little bit, if you mind. She was like, no problem. She tell me, you know, the caseworker, you know, you know, call her the B word. She came in my house, you know, with a nose up in the air, blah, blah, blah. I said, but what happened with the kids? Why were they called out? Well, you know, I, she got six kids. Um, she's a single parent. 
she was cooking breakfast. One of them spilled some oatmeal and noodles or something on his chest. And what? guess what she put on the when he burned himself? Guess what she put on it? Butter. 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 Okay. Because that's what they tell us. That's what our people tell us to do. I'm from the South. I'm from East Texas. Yes. I received, yes, three, I received three academic scholarships when I graduated from high school. Um, and I didn't know you didn't supposed to put butter on the burn until I left and came to Houston. And when somebody told me, like, oh, you don't put butters on butter on burns. And when they told me that, I'm like, shut your mouth. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And now they like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but when you tell somebody, and this is coming back to everything culture, when and they told me, you know, no, or they if they told me like, oh, that's stupid, or who, you know, who told you that BS? Who told you to put butter on your burns? Their nana. My grandmama. <laughs> Who loved their nana and grandmama? I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know you what feel? my nana? <clears throat> my you nana feel? told me to put mustard. Hey, here, all it's so many different ways we can take that. But right? someone who loved you and you love and you know they wouldn't put you in harm. Why would they tell me the wrong thing? Because that's what they were taught. Exactly. They cycle. So when I was able to talk to her and just figure out like, oh, and when she said, you know, and the kitchen was dirty, she was like this, this and shit. Everything was explained within that short amount of time, showing her respect and communicating with her. She was able, I told the caseworker, hey, the judge knew me. I like, hey, judge, you mind? I, I usually do stuff other caseworkers and child advocates wouldn't able to do. You know, I object in court, all that, knowing I couldn't do that. But um, I was different. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, what you say, Kashana? Let me interject. <laughs> I remember one time I was in court with Brandon. <laughs> Brandon gave a closing argument. <laughs> He's not a lawyer. <laughs> it was so, I was just so amazed. I was like, Did you do that? What, like, so all the lawyers gave their closing arguments. Now, as a child advocate, we don't, we, we're not represented. Well, they, I'm not an advocate anymore, but they were not represented. They didn't get an opportunity to give a closing argument. But after everybody gave a closing argument, I remember clearly Brandon Reynolds and he said, I have something to say. Straight. And Brandon gave the closing <laughs> argument, and I was just like, <laughs> "Hey!" And, and that's why I said early, earlier, I'm, I was, I'm passionate, man. Like, and when I see, if I work with these kids, I work with these families, and I'm gonna say what need to be said, because if we keep it, a lot of these attorneys don't know. Sometimes, you know, even. Just tell the the tell the facts, yeah. base it off true intentions, and step away. But, but Brandon, it meant something. They heard yeah. you. Oh yeah, they, I know. I know they, they ruled in my favor too. They ruled in my. <laughs> they they, they heard, in, Yeah, they heard you. But I was just like, my friend gave a closing argument, and he's not a lawyer, but he. I mean, they heard you. So. It. You know, it's hard for the parents to have ac accurate representation too when their attorneys are only meeting with them 30 minutes before the court if that hey, say that say yeah. that or mm, that's the other thing i did get i did get um just like i was heard in other week, other ways i've been threatened to be held in contempt in court as well because i um use certain language to a certain attorney in a hallway because they are lying about meeting with their client even though we were our recommendations was get against the mother, which the mother's attorney. Oh, <laughs> oh, I want to say some names, but um, I went in the hallway because the mother's attorney not only never visited her mother, her client, because she was out. How's my client doing? When last thing you visit her, you know, she working in services. Has she been doing the visits and all that? Your client has been in jail for the past nine months, ma'am. She's across the street. What are you talking about? But to come into court and just consistently just make something up and then follow up with um, 
what 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 really tipped it over. Uh, she said she made a recommendation about the kids, but she do not recommend it. She doesn't record. Um, she doesn't represent the children. She never seen these children, and that's what made me snap in the hallway. Like, shut your mouth. Like, really. Like, and and that, that was once again, and that's why. Like, when we talk about being a caseworker, I know I was one of those caseworkers that I really push that fine line of what they try to keep you in that professional box of mm-hmm. the system. I started to feel like it was more of a, a act at time. And that's what court is. I look at court. A lot of time is a, a it's like theater arts. If you took theater arts in um, high school, it's like, you know, you have the whole, the judge do the docket call. They then everybody who's not in court can step out in the hallway I don't know how court work. It, we have 13 different courts in Harris County. Once again, it's a whole different beast. Um, and they, 13 courts that hear CPS cases um, in Harris County. Mm-hmm. And every court work different, but docket call, then they're going to have people come to the front. You know, they're going to call, well, call the cases. When the case call, it's going to be a county attorney. The county attorney is going to make sure everyone's present. They're going to have the mother's attorney, the father, or the father's attorneys, or the fathers. And, and it's like a whole procession. That's like theater. You know, that's like acting. Everybody say their lines and go for it. I got tired. This, this this is not, and I don't like using cases. I used to say, let's stop saying cases. Let's say children or families. Because we kind of removed, as Midori said earlier, we kind of removed the, the feeling of the people, you know, the relationship of that. You know, we couldn't have feelings about it. I know, friend. <laughs> but first, we'll get this counseling thing going. But, um... It's just to that point where I know the people who sit staying longer and shout out to y'all being caseworkers for the seven years that y'all dedicated, the 10 years that you dedicated, the 16 years, the 17 years you dedicated to this work, because it's not easy. It's stressful and it takes harm. It, it, it like whether you know it or not is paid a toll on you and whether you know it or not. You've made a change in lives, you know, more than you ever recognized. So hopefully y'all are hearing this and y'all been able to learn something. Hopefully y'all be able to gather and enjoy. If you have some questions throughout, we will be touching base with y'all soon. But I have the hugest thanks, the hugest hearts, and the hugest, the largest appreciation for you, Kishana, for you, Melissa. Thank you, Midori. Thank you, Brittany. Hey, J-Bo, I'm going to catch you next time, as well as Felix. Y'all will be on a follow-up one. But, you know, at this moment, I think we're going to close shop and just um, end it with, you know, make sure to listen to the makings of Kashana and listen to the makings of Melissa. And as always, while we're here for everything culture, you know, you know, our mission statement comes to the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that is he believed that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other and they don't know each other because of segregation. And because of segregation, we have miscommunication. So we built this podcast on the pillars of respect communication and consistency so we can get to know each other so we can love one another so i want to say thank you all once again for listening and watching and god bless thank you bye nice bye. to meet you melissa nice to meet you <laughs> nice to meet you bye